0: Minus ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five,
1: four, three, two, one, zero, and liftoff. All right, all right, all right. Welcome, everyone. You get the horn show. Tad and Jeff here. Uh we have another guest tonight, back to Back weeks and uh, I'm very excited to uh, to speak with this guest as well. This is someone who I have read and uh, and, and uh, enjoyed for a long time. And this gentleman is author, sports writer, uh, legend uh, <laughs> as it pertains to uh, over 3,000 articles uh, written in the in the newspaper. Uh, John Eisenberg and uh, so John welcome to the show very uh, happy to have you
2: thank you I appreciate the, that intro yeah it's great <laughs> to be here I look forward to it
1: yeah I think we're gonna have some fun and you know we, we've got uh, plenty of things to talk about uh, you have uh, your new book out Rocketman uh, which is really kind of uh, looking at an historic view of the black quarterback in the NFL there it is right there uh, you know, the Black quarterback uh, revolution in the NFL and in sports in general. And I think it's a really, really interesting historical perspective, kind of you know from from past days, and we all know, of course, about you know stereotypes that existed uh, around black quarterbacks to you know the, the league that we see today. But before we jump even into that, just to kind of give people a little bit of you know history on you, um, obviously an author, sports writer, Started in newspapers, you've written over three thousand, uh, you know, articles, and uh, and then eventually migrated into writing books. Uh, and so up until I believe last year, you were uh, worked for the Baltimore Ravens, and and wrote lots of articles on their app and website and everything. We're very close to the team, so I thought it was really interesting as well because you were clearly up close and personal with uh, with a young black quarterback in lamar jackson who's kind of you know the latest evolution of where the uh the, the quarterback position is uh, not only overall but particularly as it pertains to the black quarterbacks you know in your time covering the team you were there obviously when they made the decision to to draft lamar and starting him off and you know all of those types of things so i guess you know if you wouldn't mind kind of diving into just What you were able to observe, even from a Lamar Jackson coming into a team like Baltimore and what that's like, again, not so much maybe as a black quarterback, per se, but just as a young, dynamic quarterback and what he brings to an established coaching staff and those types of things.
2: Well, yeah, it's what's interesting because it's both sides of the coin. Uh, I did watch it and I was there. Uh, I remember being in the building the night of the draft when when they you know traded back into the first end of the first round and took him and the building just shook. I mean, and th- those were the people in the, the war room, so to speak. They had drafted Lamar Jackson, and you knew instantly it was going to change the course of the franchise. They didn't draft him because he was a black quarterback. I mean, uh, what's interesting, race really had nothing to do with it. And uh, the the Ravens, uh, as I wrote this book, are definitely a team. And uh, from the get go, I mean, they, they've had the first black general manager in the NFL, Ozzie Newsome, who shaped their roster from the very beginning. And they've sort of been a real example of what can happen when you don't just have all white, you know, that's what went on for years uh, was the guys shaping the rosters were white. And, and you know, and, and those stereotypes you alluded to were allowed to continue. Well, here comes Ozzie with a whole different perspective. And so from the get-go, the Ravens have had a lot of black quarterbacks. Lamar, uh, uh, you know, they, they knew instantly when they drafted him. Uh, you know, what, what happened to him? I mean, I did watch it up close. And here's the guy, it's half the reason I wrote the book, because here's the guy when he was at the Combine that year, the Chargers scout said, are you going to run the 40 because you'd be a good wide receiver? And this is a Heisman Trophy winner <laughs> and uh, an unbelievable talent. And uh, there were other people making comments like that. Bill Polian and different people had real thoughts that maybe he shouldn't be. So that's a vestige of what went on. We're in year almost 100 of the NFL. And and this is still happening. And he comes in and, and uh, of course, his story is well told, but he, as a rookie, gets the job. And then the second year, they trade Joe Flacco and he's the quarterback and he's MVP in the NFL. Uh, in his second year after less than two years after being told he would be a good uh, wide receiver in the NFL. <laughs> so they, that had a lot of, that sort of uh, was a key piece of the motivation. Why well, I should write this book uh, because it's sort of uh, amazing to me that it's still going on, but it is. And so, uh, you know, seeing Lamar up close uh, definitely. And he has a huge chip on his shoulder as a result of all mm. that. And he always will, I think. And so, cause he's never been a cookie cutter guy. Yeah. And so, uh, watching him up close and getting to know him a little bit is definitely a piece of why I wrote this book.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think that's really interesting and, and, you know, look, we know, so the, the new book, I want to say it again, make sure everyone understands that the new book's called rocket men, the black quarterbacks who revolutionized pro football the book was just released uh, a couple weeks ago, but I believe it's your 11th book overall. Am I quoting that correctly?
2: That is, you have done it. Good job yeah.
1: on <laughs> <laughs> So your 11th book overall, you're a prolific writer. I'm curious, how long did it take to write this book really from inception, from the time you started? Maybe not the inception of the idea, but from the time you started just the uh, the research and everything to the time that it actually gets published? What's the time frame for something like that?
2: This one was uh, three years. Three <laughs> years. I, I signed a contract to do this book. Uh, uh, in 2020 uh, during the pandemic wow. and uh, I had the same publisher uh, that my prior book called The League uh, is about uh, the early days of the NFL through the through the eyes or uh, the stories of the founding basically the founding father owners who dragged it through the mud when it was not a popular sport at all and that one did extremely well that one uh, really it sold better than any of my books and and it continues to sell. And its fourth year it was one of the best-selling sports books on Amazon. So, so uh, same publisher. And uh, this one was a whole different deal because uh, I started in 1920. I tell the story. It's a linear narrative. I you know I start with Fritz Pollard in 1920, the first year of the NFL, and and so forward through his story, and then the period of time when the NFL was entirely white, sort of an unknown. A lot of fans don't know that, but it was just like baseball for 12 years and uh, right up until right after World War II. And then move forward to so much that went on in this story of black quarterbacks, the guys that first got in in the 50s, the ones that actually got onto the field in the 60s and 70s. And then 80s, the first black quarterbacks who really played. And, uh, you know, Doug Williams wins the Super Bowl. Uh, Randall Cunningham with the Eagles. Warren Moon is on the cover of the book. Um, just... And so, you know, that's that era. And then the, you fast forward more, uh, the era of the last 15 years, you, Cam Newton and Colin Kaepernick, you know, before everything that went on with him, was an unbelievable quarterback in his first years. And, and then through Lamar. So it's just a huge story. It's a big canvas with a lot of, <laughs> of, of uh, eras. So I had a lot of eras to research on and off the field and what's going on with race relations in America because it's a it's a big story. And so it just it just took a long time. And uh, most <laughs> yeah, of my other books have been maybe one year or two year they've covered a narrative three years. This one's 100. So, uh, you know, it it took it seemed yeah. like forever to be honest with you. It took it took a long time.
0: Wow. So, where do you start like with something like that? Like like obviously you're not getting an interview from Fritz. Uh, I mean, where where are you like <laughs> I, where are you starting at? Like how, how, how are you in your mind? Okay. I'm going to start a hundred years and move, you know, move forward. So are you starting at, you know, year one and building the book that way or are you building it in pieces? Like, how are you, how, how well, are you uh, doing that?
2: It's a great question. And every book is different because sometimes like I, I wrote a book about uh, Cal Ripken's uh, consecutive game streak and Luke yeah. Garrick and that was a real challenge from a narrative perspective because if you start in the beginning and you tell the Lou Gehrig story, then Cal Ripken, who's the one everybody knew, didn't didn't show up till the second half of the book. So you couldn't do that. You had to, I started, first chapter was 2131 when Cal broke the Gehrig's record. Right. start there and then you go back and you had to weave in two different things. That was a tough one, okay, because it's like, it's not linear. It's not just told chronologically. This book unfolds pretty chronologically, as you said. You know, I start with Fritz Pollard and just move forward. I think this story needs to be told chronologically for it to do. You understand how it slowly, ever so slowly, builds, and so it made sense for, to me, to my brain. It made sense, you know, uh, start at the beginning and go forward. And unfortunately, uh, I you know worked with some great editors at Basic Books, and, and they agreed with me.
0: So uh, that's how you're, you're writing the book. Is that how you are putting the book together? So now if you're starting with Fritz, are you doing it? You're, I, you know, I'm assuming you're, you're, you're shaping the book out, but like, are you going now doing your research now on, on Fritz and, and that, that era and then moving to the next one the next one. Cause I know you did a lot of interviews and some of these guys were older guys. So I, I would think, you know, age would play a factor into that. Like, Hey, I need, if I have an opportunity to interview this guy now, let me do this now. Let me not wait a year and a half because who knows. Right. So what, what's kind of your process there with, um, with building the book.
2: I don't start interviewing guys until I'm sort of in their era, researching okay. and writing, uh, until I get a grasp on, I do, I don't, I don't write a word for six months. I, I, I sort of need to play it out of my head a little bit. Who am I going to highlight? Where do I? Who? Which guys do I highlight in this story? And certainly the ones that played a lot—that's easy. I know I'm going to be dealing with them. I knew I was going to be interviewing, you know, James Harris and Warren Moon and these guys. But there's a lot of guys, and they're in the book. Uh, you know, I called it Rocket Men because uh, the title is meant as a compliment. And certainly, you see the guys playing today. Patrick Mahomes, Lamar. I mean, they're a rocket. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> but, you know, the guys that there's tons of guys, they'd stand on the shoulders of guys that, that were really good and and really didn't get a chance to play. And so I, I intended that as a, as a compliment to them. And so you just move through it. Uh, you know, I had to tell those stories as well. Now, that was really difficult, uh, you know, figuring out which guys to highlight that, didn't even play in the NFL or, or very little, but, uh, stand as examples of guys that didn't get a chance. So that took some, you know, some weeding out. So, you you can't, you can't do it all. But, uh, so I, you know, I hope I hit the ones that were appropriate. So that that was pretty painstaking.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can imagine it is, you know, it's a, it's a monumental task to take on a hundred years of history and then condense it down and make it also, interesting and and you know and captivating to the to the reader and you know that's a uh, that's a that's a big big job and certainly it took you three years to be able to accomplish it but uh, you certainly you certainly did yes and you know go okay. ahead i'm sorry
2: no i mean what's really funny as i always tell people this by the end of it i i like to have the book memorized i have <laughs> i have it memorized
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> I've, I've gone over everything right <laughs> there's 500 and some footnotes in there and, uh, you know, uh, this is a sensitive subject and, and I, I wanted to make sure that I was on solid ground uh, from a, you know, from a source perspective. So I went over those footnotes again and again and again and wow. uh, even double fact checking all that stuff. So, yeah, by the end of it, I like <laughs> I do. It's sort of in my brain. I don't know whether that's good or bad, but it's all sort of in my head. So you <laughs> practically have a 400.000 page book it can be memorized not that anyone necessarily wants to have to have that done but yeah i think just repetition
1: just shows people out there trying to memorize something just repetition yeah um and look i think we all from you know kind of a high level we know you know the the stereotypes uh, around black quarterbacks in the nfl historically and the fact that they just weren't given that opportunity for such a long time So when you were doing the research for this book, you obviously spoke with so many players, like we talked about, of different ages and backgrounds. When you're going through and kind of collecting all this information, did anything that you learned kind of truly surprise you? Or was it largely what you expected when you began the process?
2: Uh, Several things surprised me. Uh, uh, Certainly talking to James Harris was an unbelievable interview. A guy that uh, played in the NFL in the 70s, really the first black quarterback that an NFL team said, you'll be our starter. It was with the Los Angeles Rams in 1974. Marlon Briscoe played before him, but the Broncos did that strictly in 1968 for five games he started because they had to. All their other quarterbacks were hurt, and they never gave him another chance after that. And He had to switch positions to play, and he was great on the field. There's no doubt he could have been a really good quarterback, but... So James Harris tells me the story of uh, he's just such a great storyteller. And, and so his story surprised me when he told me the story of going up. He's drafted by the Buffalo Bills in 1969 in the eighth round. He's 6'4", 220 pounds, can throw it a mile. He's a Dean's List student. You know, he should be a first round draft pick. He, he goes in the eighth round and he goes up to Buffalo and it's the year they drafted O.J. Simpson. And so O.J.'s the big star and they go up for a rookie camp and the, the team puts O.J. up at, a, at the Hilton and they put James Harris up at the Y uh, in a in a six dollar room. And then he hangs around. He does his football was very different. He didn't have an agent and his college coach, Eddie Robinson, legendary coach at Grambling, is negotiating his contract with the Bills. So James goes to them and says, look, you know, while he's negotiating the contract, like, I need a little money if I want to go get a sandwich or something. So they gave him a job cleaning his teammates' cleats in the locker room. Uh, and, you know, wow. he tells me this story just in a deadpan way. And it's just stunning. And and, and so, it, and by the end of that summer, by the way, that training camp, he's, he starts the season opener for the team. that He was cleaning his teammates' cleats in the locker room. <laughs> so uh, that surprised me that's a story that just really floored me. And uh, I, when I hung up from that interview, I said, I think I have a pretty good book here. I mean, this, yeah. is, this, is, yeah. this is really good. This is really good. So that that one got me.
1: Well, and I love that story. I love that story in the book because, you know, I thought it was so interesting, even that juxtaposition, when you're looking at the position, because as you mentioned, they had just they were drafting OJ Simpson at the same time. And so it's it's so interesting that, like, both like they're both black players but it's, it's almost by virtue of the position that they're playing that yeah. it's almost like the black quarterback and eh, he's not really even going to play an important role for this team we know that versus the black running back who we know is going to be a, a big star or we expect that i just think that, that i thought that was such an interesting juxtaposition yeah. between
2: those things it is it's it's very interesting uh, yeah. you know james is from the south uh, deep south. He's from a uh, historically back college. He, he went up there. He'd never really been around white people, as he said. And so it was just different than O.J. And, uh, you know, I think the team had no problem sort of casting aspersions on him that way, which is, uh, you know, pretty, pretty bad to, to, to hear those stories. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, you're, you're, it is very interesting how, uh, you know, O.J. got the royal treatment uh, but James Harris, uh, dealt with, uh, a lot of that, uh, throughout his, really throughout his career. He is a real, it's reason he, the introduction to the book is James Harris, uh, because there, when he goes up to Buffalo in 1969, there are no black quarterbacks. Marlon Briscoe at first off, that's the AFL. It's not the yep. NFL. It's right. the last year of the AFL there were the NFL was slower and, uh, but uh, there was just no track record at all. He, he, he carved a career out of an era where there was no track record. So pretty amazing guy uh, historically.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. And Jeff, I want you to go into this next question because this is something Jeff and I were talking before you came on prior to the show about, you know, just the timing. Certain players that... Uh, you know, would have definitely fit in, in, you know, in the NFL. And it was almost just a, just bad timing that whether it was their style of play would have been perfect for today's Jeff, you and I were talking about a particular guy that we can, you know, kind of ask John about, but I just think in general, that bigger, that bigger question exists, <laughs> but, uh but yeah, Jeff, why don't you, why don't you take that away?
0: Yeah. So it was, you know, the, the, the quarterback that came to mind, like man, just tailor-made for this, this NFL was Cordell Stewart. Yeah. And, you know, it, I guess our question was at that point is like, okay, he was amazing back then. Like the stuff he was doing on the field, we weren't really seeing, right? We probably had that with, with moon and, and, you know, those players, but you know, he was doing stuff on the field that, you know, his whole slash role, right. He was doing all that stuff. And it was like, okay, obviously they, the Steelers saw how good this guy was, but yet they didn't want to build an offense around him. Now it it was hard for me to say, that that would have just been, you know, because of race, you know, the Steelers are, are you know, well-known for, you know, for having, uh, you know, that they're legends, you know, are, are, of, of black players, but was it, is it just a different time now or, you know, the teams just weren't interested in building an offense around a running quarterback, it, you know, it, I don't know if it's you can a expand great question.
2: on that. Yes. And, and it's really one of the, it's a key part of the book that I, that I sort of, you ask about the writing process. It just sort of evolved in my head as I went along writing and it really came to understand it better as I reported along. And that is the style of football in the NFL. Uh, you know, very clearly for many decades, uh, the, the, all the quarterbacks were white drop back quarterbacks. That's all they wanted. Yeah. It was a mark against you if you had mobility. They didn't want yeah. you leaving the pocket. Coaches didn't want yeah. you doing it. They would lose control. The offensive linemen hated it. Uh, used to tell jokes, you know, about Fran Tarkenton, who was why you know scrambling. They didn't, you know, nobody wanted that. He's like, that's
0: a great yeah. one, yeah.
2: So they, you know, it was a style of football, and 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 a number of black quarterbacks. Just uh, if they had come along, I mean, a guy like Turner Gill, okay, is a name. He played at Nebraska in the eighties. When Nebraska was really good, he never lost a game in college, and and he he went to to Canada, was a great quarterback there before concussions shortened his career. Well, if he comes along in today's NFL, and you know maybe he's not an amazing passer, but he's a good passer and has the force of a franchise behind him, he could have been really good. Could have been really good, and 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 so Cordell Stewart comes along a decade later, uh, and he, you know good for the Steelers for putting him out there. And they did let him run more. They let him run more than than the dropbacks were. So it was a step in that direction for me uh, that really became clear to me. I mean, slowly from the '80s when you see Randall Cunningham and the Eagles starting to run around, and they'll let you do that, and you know some white quarterbacks too, Steve Young uh, and Elway was mobile, and and different guys. But it never the NFL still wanted the. If you fast forward to 2010, say look at the who's. It's, that's the era of Tom Brady, Peyton, Ben, ben. Roethlisberger, who's winning, still the white dropback quarterbacks, and that's what they wanted. It never really changed, from, I don't think, until 2011, Cam Newton and Kaepernick get drafted. In 2012, Robert Griffin uh, and Russell Wilson. Okay? And I think Andrew Luck is in there, too, also mobile. Uh, so Those guys came in. Okay, and they were so good. They could run. They were mobile. They could throw. They were smart. They immediately started winning. And I think the NFL finally said, we you're not going to have to be a drop back quarterback. We're going to change. We're changing the way we play football team by team. It happened. Sort of became accepted. I think that's the moment from that year, 2011 and 12. Fast forward to where we are today, where every team has RPOs and and the quarterback position has really changed. I think it's happened in the last 12 or 13 years. Uh, before then, you just had guys like Cordell and different ones, Michael Vick, obviously, another, who slowly yep. but surely opened the eyes of the mm-hmm. league to what can happen. And it's actually a good thing if your quarterback's mobile. <laughs> so uh, slowly right. but surely it happened and didn't really take off until the last 10 or 12 years.
1: Wow.
0: That's amazing to think it's been that just short of a time, you know. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, it's that's nothing well, in football. Yeah, Hundred-year you know? <laughs>
1: history, and we're talking about the yeah. last ten years. <laughs> yeah, well, Michael
2: Vick, the first time, and he would uh, i think 2006 was the first time they really started putting RPOs in for him, and he was in his fifth or sixth year at that point. And you know, what? An, what? The team wasn't great, but what a concept. Uh, to yeah. start giving, you know, letting the quarterback make some decisions at the line and stuff like that. And so it really is the last 15 years wow. that it's, it's completely changed.
1: Well, you know, something that struck me too, you know, between just the book and the topic, and when Jeff and I were talking about it, is that it struck me that the prolifer- the proliferation of Black head coaches in high school, college, and the NFL has to play a role as well. You know, I almost feel like there could be a, Uh, Not that you want to sign up for another three-year mission on doing this, but there could be a companion book that could be written just about, you know, black coaches uh, because I do think that has certainly played a huge role as well. And so I was really curious, did any of the players that you, when you were doing your research and interviews, did any of them kind of point to specific coaches who were maybe more progressive Mm -hmm. and and just open-minded about the idea of having a black quarterback?
2: Well, historically there are definitely some, I mean, You go way back. uh, I don't know, uh, you know, how many of your 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 uh, listeners, you know, Chuck Knox was a guy that was a really nice winning football coach in the NFL in the 70s. And he's the guy in 1974 was coaching the L.A. Rams. He's the guy that said, looked at his quarterback room and said, I want him to be my starter. And it was James Harris. He was really the first one. So you have to give him credit for that. He didn't see color. And uh, he definitely did that. Joe Gibbs would be another, uh, Joe Gibbs, uh, the story of Doug Williams, which I tell in the book, never, who go, who wins the Super Bowl and such a, such a moment for this story. He wouldn't, I don't know whether he would have been in the NFL. I mean, uh, the year he was being drafted, uh, uh there was no combine yet. He was coming out of Grambling and teams would go and, uh, go to the campus of the player and scout them there and have a visit. One team visited Doug Williams. It was the Tampa Bay Bucks. Joe Gibbs was offensive coordinator of the Tampa Bay <gasps> Bucs. 1978, he goes down. They said, well, we kind of, the scouts, we, he's a big guy and he could throw it. Let's go talk to him. So he goes down, comes back and says, take it, take it. <laughs> and and so they did. So it's guys like that that uh, you know were willing to go against the grain when uh, there was so much uh ideology really it was ideology working against him that same year warren moon was undrafted warren moon didn't I get drafted imagine. won the rose bowl won
0: the rose <laughs> bowl and that.
2: and would throw for seventy thousand yards as a professional <laughs> you know and it did not get drafted so it tells you where where things were so it took it did take uh people you know white. uh the white coaches so obviously, yes, when you move along and have, have black coaches and black general managers, and that's changed a lot. Not enough in the NFL, I would say. They're having a real issue there. And I'm not sure the league knows what to do about that. But um, uh, they, they don't seem to be able to solve that one. But um, it's definitely helped, the, the the just having the sets of eyes on quarterbacks that say I like you uh, you know it's just it's just changed things dramatically the high school and the college level
1: yeah I would have to think so I mean it just you know it makes such a big difference because you know like you were saying I mean you have these these players who have been on these teams and the coaches are the ones looking at them going nah I'm not going to play you I'm not going to give you that chance and so you know I do think that as we start to see again even nowadays even on the high school and college level more you know blackhead coaches i have to believe then that you know that 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 only helps because you do have those you know um I'm trying to think was it uh Newsome, i believe that was you know going to be a uh quarterback and then ended up going over to to be a tight end because right. he was looking at the other quarterbacks and realized he didn't see anyone like him right. and it made more sense to you know go elsewhere and obviously you know one of the best ever and a hall of famer and everything else but you know, I do think that having a coach that you are comfortable with or that you see yourself in, uh, you know, probably does make it a little bit easier for those for those players when they're young. You know, to 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 get on that quarterback path.
2: There's uh, Dante Culpepper, uh, drafted by the Minnesota Vikings in 1999 out of Central Florida, was really good for about five years until he got hurt.
0: The name yeah.
2: really good. Uh, his touchdown interception ratio his career. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a guy that could—it was outstanding. Uh, mm-hmm. But when he shows up to the Minnesota Vikings in 1999, and this is in the book, the, the head coach is black, the offensive coordinator is black, uh, the position coach, I believe, was black, and uh, the first-string quarterback. was—he It was the first time, and he addressed it. He said it's the first, you know, as a young player, that he, he realized he probably was not going to be judged like other people had been judged. And so that was great for him. I mean, and it was isolated. It was an isolated situation, but it it did happen in Minnesota. Denny Green was the coach in 1999, and he had a lot of black assistants. And uh, so that was great and a winning team. Uh, So it it, it did happen a little bit, but, uh, uh, you know, the coaching piece of it is really, really key.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, Jeff, what do you got? No,
2: I mean, it it seems like we've, we, um,
0: I guess, as a society, or you know, the NFL, it, it's come a long way, right? I mean, we're looking at, I won't, uh, almost fifty percent starting quarterbacks so at least week one uh, were black. Yeah. I, I want to say it was somewhere 14-ish. fourteen ish, fourteen. 14, 14. Of them, yeah. and the league
2: put so, out a release. The league made sure everybody knew. Put out <laughs> put it on social media. That's funny.
0: Oh man, that's crazy.
2: Yeah. Unbelievable. The graphic, so a social, graphic, anyway. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, unbelievable. So, do we think we're past this this point now? I mean, you know, with your book, you know, you know, just talking about like the the struggle. Like, do we do mm-hmm. we think now it, it's what we're? I mean, obviously, I don't know that we're ever going to be past. You know, I'm not talking racism, I guess, but right. I, I'm talking like you're a football player, like we, you know, whether you're white, whether you're black, whether, you know, what position you play, do you think we're past that now where we're not seeing like it, who
1: cares? Like parity among quarterback candidates.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. so. Yes. I, I mean, certainly huge strides have been made. And, 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 and uh, the first, I mean, it took until 57 super bowls to have two black starters, but at least we did. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, months later, three out of the first four picks are black quarterbacks. And then a few months later, uh, the opening weekend, 14 starters out of 32, as noted by the league. Um, you know, so Definitely clearly <laughs> things have changed. It, it, but will it ever be? I mean, uh, it's better. Is it all the way? Uh, you know, occasionally vestiges. James Harris told me, he says, it continues. It continues, believe me. And I said, OK. And, and occasionally where you will see it is... The journeyman, you know, the 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 backup pop, the backup quarterback population is still majority white, definitely white, and That's it so. seems that teams are more comfortable with less and less so. But you know, if you if you do the numbers, there's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, the you see the journeyman guy who's bounced around the league forever. The Chase Daniels, you know, of the the world, you know, never started. But, you know, when you start seeing a black quarterback in that role, you'll know things have really changed. And I'm not saying I hate I hate painting with a broad brush in this because there are examples and things are changing. Tyrod Taylor would be one another one drafted by Ozzie Newsom. And, uh, you know, has finally, I think, out of the league after 12 or 13 years, uh, uh, mostly as a backup uh and, and and there are others uh you know Joshua Dobbs uh uh you know yeah. uh did a real nice job with she, the Cardinals he's <laughs> played oh, three fantastic
0: point. games yeah he has been yeah, so, excellent yeah. just getting that chance to actually start I mean you know in right. fairness he was behind Ben I mean you're not nobody hey, was starting on over it. Ben so sure. I mean but the fact that yeah he's now you know he got traded for and he's now their starter and playing extremely well. I mean, just. The, oh, it's changing. The,
2: yeah. When you see that back up, uh, the, the clipboard holders, you know, majority, I, I think you'll know things have, have really changed. And of course, look, you know, as we mentioned in the outset, I mean, Lamar, it you know, is told to be, he can be a good wide receiver, you know, that's five years ago. So it's, it's not, yeah. uh, you know, it's not all the way done, but uh, certainly better than it was. And so,
0: do you think and and i guess we're we're backtracking a little bit here the whole lamar thing because you know i've read that and i've heard that where truly that didn't come from race like that just has to be someone just being just it, just not understanding the game is that what it was or do do we think you know i don't you know bill polian was one of them that said it like i don't think bill you know would you know yeah <laughs> it's not racist obviously but like where did that stem from? Where did that root? From? I mean, this guy was a Heisman Trophy winner, and you're telling him, "Yeah, you'd think he'd be a good wide receiver." That's that's insane to me. Like, I, I just like what? What did he well, think he of it? What well, you know? Where do- <laughs> yeah,
2: I mean, you know, I mean, Lamar Lamar be good at anything.
0: You know, sure, be, of be, course he, he would be. be. be yeah. <laughs>
2: So he's not wrong, but it's just, it's not the position he plays, but, uh, you know, so I don't know. I mean, that is, uh, you know, it's not just flat out. I agree. I mean, it's not in, in some cases, again, painting with a broad brush. I'm very cautious about some cases. It was, it, it, it comes out. It was in the DNA. It was in the DNA of. of of, uh, maybe not, you know, the group think in the the NFL was, you know, the black quarterback, you know, guy, he's not, he wasn't smart enough, you know, would he, could he lead? Could he produce in the clutch? You know, all these things that those were the real racist ideology. And, you know, I I don't think that's in existence anymore, but somewhere in there, you know, uh, a hesitancy to, to just all the way grant, you know, to occasionally it's a reflex almost. It's almost a reflex. It's like, oh Lee, you know, these guys could do this, that, and the other. You know, maybe that would be good. Uh so uh it's it's hard to pinpoint exactly where that comes from. But uh it's it's what was there. And uh, you know, you can you can question a lot of things. You remember when Kyler Murray signed his contract uh, a year ago and they put in a <laughs> clause that said you can't play video games or whatever yeah. it was. And, you know, Warren Moon, who's a keeper of the flame. I interviewed Warren at length and, and you know, he jumped all over that. You know, he was the first way, you know, he said, wait, he said, hold on. You know, that's the kind of stuff that that I dealt with in 1978, 1980. And that was wow. it's just a different perspective, you know, different line of questioning and different treatment you know, maybe it isn't just flat out race, but it's just like, you can't do, you know, you know, something, something clicks and you raise that question. And, uh, you know, so Warren is great. You know, he's a, he's the first one to say, you know, hold on now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, you know, that's just last year. So, uh, yeah. and, and but
1: you, let me ask. Okay. So John, I'm sorry. I, I want to understand this a little bit more and I don't, uh, obviously I want to be cautious of the, the time yeah. and also the waters that we're wading into here, but, Something like that, right? So, we don't know obviously what Kyler Murray is like with that team or what we've seen. Is there, in your mind, sometimes maybe a danger of even if it's Warren Moon, who I'm a huge fan of, uh, looking at that and then just assuming right. that that is somehow race based, whereas maybe the team legitimately, regardless of color, saw a guy who just wasn't spending the time studying and working to achieve his potential. And they did something to try to, you know, prevent that from being an issue. And then it started. they do run that risk though, of then getting called out. I have to think for teams that can also be a slippery slope sometimes.
2: It's very slippery slope. You, you just have to be very careful because, uh, uh, no, we, I mean, I'm, I'm not in the Cardinals meetings. I'm not in their, you know, organizational, <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. It, it's, it's just the, the question that, you know, Warren would say was, all right, if you had 50 people in that position, uh, 50 quarterbacks, you know, how many black quarterbacks would they have that? How many quarterbacks would have it written into their contract that are black or that are white? You know, he'd say, Now we don't have the answer there. We don't know. But, uh, you know, uh, if you going on history, you you have a suspicion what's what's happening there. And that's all it is. That's yeah. all it can be. And so uh, any team is allowed to do whatever they want with their players. But, uh, you know, you, you, yeah. you do. And, then, you know, so, of course, we don't know exactly. We're not privy to all the details. So maybe they did have some concerns. But, uh, and, you know, with reason. But you gotta—I mean, it's—it's—it's it's, it's just a situation where too many guys have been through too many situations that yeah. just had the same scent. It's just too many guys, you know. They—they—they they, yes. they, they just were like, uh, you know, golly. Because obviously we've moved beyond it on a macro level, but you know, it's just, uh, you know, kind no, of. No, and was, the
1: history is there. You're right. And you so know? those guys, and again, it doesn't matter if it's a Warren Moon, a Doug Williams, whoever they have been through that in so many different ways that, you know, I'm sure they, they have that lens of kind of seeing it and it, and it's going to strike them, you know, in a certain way. And, and look, it's very possible that they're correct. You know, uh, we, we certainly can't rule that out. It's uh, it is interesting. And I'm sure other teams probably saw the way that played out and said, well, okay, we're <laughs> going to keep our hands off of I that because the Cardinals couldn't I... have handled that much more poorly than they did in the grand scheme of things. Anyway.
2: Yeah. Don't put it in writing. I mean, (laughs) you know, you've got to, you know, listen, there are a lot of teams that have to deal with a lot of players of all races and everything. They all do various things, but uh, you know, and that's a lot of money. There was a lot of money on the table. yeah. And uh, so I don't know, uh, you know, my, my point with, with, uh, with writing the book really was just to sort of shine a light on the history and to sort of put it in context Uh, you know, just so everyone understood, I mean, I've been a journalist for 40 something years, it's my life's work and, and, you know, I've always felt like, you know, this is a truth, this is truth, this happened. And so for people to just understand that now, if there's echoes of it today, that's, it's actually sort of, I mean, if people are interested in it, uh, understandably, and, you know, we certainly don't want it to ever happen again. You only want it to get better, not worse. But uh you know I, what's really what I really want people to understand is that it happened and uh you know in this game that we all love, and just let's you know let's make sure that that's understood.
1: Well, that's fantastic a, and yeah, you did yeah. an incredible job of of bringing that to light, you know and yeah. uh, and it's and yeah, very cool. Uh, Jeff, go ahead, but were you getting ready? yeah,
0: absolutely no, I was just say like you just think of a a twenty or a twenty five year old who just you know they don't know this history, right so I mean it's just it's it's great timing you know ever you just think like oh, there's always been these quarterbacks like no, like these guys went through a lot like it's just and it's yeah. a fantastic book just to to show the groundwork that was laid and yes, it took us way too long to get to this position, but man, we fans are reaping the benefits of this i mean. You know, it, it, you know, you you look at you know just Patrick Mahomes and just the magic he does, and to think like there was a time where a Patrick Mahomes would have wouldn't have been able to play in the NFL. You know, it's just and you know I think about you know to baseball and you look at like Babe Ruth and you're just like oh Babe Ruth was so amazing, but like man, could you imagine like the competition that he would have had? <laughs> you know, if if, yeah. if the black <laughs> yeah. players could have played against him, you know, it's like. It's just it's fantastic to see. So it's a, a fantastic book. Um, it, you did an amazing job with it. I'm i about a halfway through at this point. So um, so I'm I'm excited to read the the rest of it. But um, but just great timing on this too. Just with all the recognition great. and and just how all these players are getting drafted now, and it's just awesome to see where they came from.
2: Well, thank you. I mean, it is, it's is—it's a story of opportunity, really. It's a story about opportunity more than anything else. That's how, that's how I look at it. Marlon Briscoe, who we talked about, you know, he and Lamar Jackson in many ways, their stories are the same, all right? They, they do not come out of a Power Five conference. Their yeah. skill set is a little bit different, out of line, than what the league wanted. Uh, Marlon, they both got on the field as rookies. Uh, they both did well as rookies. Marlon, uh, Lamar Jackson, as we said, you know, they, they, in today's football, they gave him the keys to the offense. He's MVP of the league his second year. So, 50 years before that, Marlon Briscoe is told, you're never going to play quarterback again, you know. Yeah. So, it's, it's, it's just opportunity. He did, the story's the same. He just, and the talents were similar. He didn't get the opportunity. So, uh, it is, uh, you know, uh, uh, kind of amazing that, that it happened. Uh, but, uh, as I said, I just wanted to shine a light on it. Oh,
1: no, you did. And, and listen, you know, before, as we start to wrap up here, cause you have other obligations, but one thing I wanted to make sure that we mention, uh, cause you are Baltimore based and they are actually, they, there's an event coming up at the university of Maryland. Uh, the Philip Merrill college of journalism is having a kind of, I guess, a symposium, if you will, on the rise of the black quarterback, right? Uh, you will be there along with, Someone who we mentioned uh, several times throughout this conversation, none other than Doug Williams, along with Mike Loxley and, you know, lots of other people that are kind of yep. involved in the game. Uh, and it's really all about this this topic, what we're talking about tonight. So, you know, people can check that out if they're in the, you know, the DMV uh, area there. And uh, I think the easiest way potentially to, to do that would be to go to your Twitter. Or I guess we call it X now, right. uh, which is at Bmore Eisenberg, B-M-O-R-E, eisenberg e-i-s-e-n-b-e-r-g right be more eisenberg you have the link in there for people to be yeah. able to check out and that's something they can register and i guess go and, and see this live and, and see yeah. you talk about this and doug williams and michael oxley and these other folks and uh i think that will probably be a very very cool event for people
2: to be able yeah to. i'm looking forward to that they uh there's uh, definitely uh i mean they put together something great there so it's it's really i i can i'll be selling books and signing books afterwards but uh, I think that'll be a really, really good panel. So it's- yeah, that's really
1: neat. And yeah. one last question for you, if I could, John. This is a very short, uh, short question, short answer. Do you already have an idea of what your next book's going to be?
2: Uh, the, the short answer is no. I do not. not. You're still –
1: you've the old book rattling around in there. You haven't had any time to have anything new rattle around yet. when I
2: memorize, you know, it's just slowly (laughs) dripping out. So, uh, you know, when it drips out, maybe there will be room for something else. There you uh, go. we'll, We'll see. Well,
1: again, we want everyone to pick it up. Again, the book is called Rocket Men, The Black Quarterbacks Who Revolutionized Pro Football it is available basically anywhere you can get your hands on a book. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's Amazon, eBay, any platform, bookstores, everything else. Uh, so check it out. It's definitely a good read and a great history lesson as well. And a lot of insight brought to it. So well done, John, and, and uh, we really, really appreciate you being able to be on the show tonight.
2: Great. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: Awesome. So thank you so much.